Welcome to the Film Photography Podcast, our first episode, October 15th. 2009, and uh, my name is Michael Rosso, and I'm here with Dwayne Polkew. Hello, everyone. And John Fidelli. Hi. And uh, this is our first film photography podcast. I'm going to introduce myself briefly. Uh, I run a indie B movie studio called Pop Cinema in New Jersey, USA. I took a 15-year hiatus from still photography when I started my motion picture company in 1994, and. Thanks to Flickr.com, I kind of inspiring a whole online community of photographers. So I dug out all of my Canon FD equipment. I started shooting again, and I've been shooting like almost every day for since November of 2008. And I've been getting so into it and so inspired by the online communities that I said, hey, you know what? Let's spin off our alternative cinema podcast and do a film photography podcast. And that's how it started. You sound very excited about the whole thing, Mike. Thank you, John. Yes. Dwayne? Yes, Mike? Who are you? My name is Dwayne Palku. I'm from New Jersey. And I've been a photographer, uh, I guess you'd call me a semi-pro and a pro, you know, depending upon how much money I make, since uh, the late 80s. And I started out doing advertising photography uh, for the sporting goods industry. And uh, for newspapers and things like that, you know, a girl holding a tennis racket, guy holding golf clubs. I did not know that. Uh, and I lived in New York City for a while. I did not I, know that. And I wanted to be a, a stand-up comic. That I knew. And I drove a taxi cab. That oh, I did not know. I did not know that. For Midland Service Company at a Long Island City, Queens. Wow. That's how I, I earned my living. And I lived with a, uh, a male model who worked for the Click Agency. Really? He was not gay. I was not gay. Oh, we have another model. Let's bring her in here. And uh, so it was very cool because he was always surrounded by, you know, female catalog models. And I got to see that uh, that industry. And I had a little bit of experience in photography. So I started photographing models that way. But I wasn't very good. This is maybe like 84, 85. I knew nothing about lighting. I knew nothing about, you know, the different techniques that you'd use to, uh, to photograph women. And I tried to get into the, the fashion scene in New York City. And, you know, there was no way that was going to happen. I'd never been to to, uh, to Milan or Paris or those places where you would uh, start out as a young photographer. So I came back to Jersey and I uh, started photographing dancers in in go-go bars and, uh, and strip clubs. And I met a girl named J.J. North. Mm-hmm. This is all leading back to us and my motion picture photography company. Exactly. This is this is <laughs> slippery slope back in like sleazy B-movies. <laughs> this is what happened. And J.J. had made a, a couple of movies for Fred Olin Ray, I think. Yes. And getting to know her, uh, I got to be exposed to the, the B-movie industry and the horror movie industry and conventions and B-movie magazines that are called fanzines. And I met all those editors and I began shooting for them. And all of a sudden – you know, I had girls that were in Playboy calling me up saying, oh, could we do a shoot for this magazine? And I uh, I met Mike Rasso. He was doing a film called Psycho Sisters, and J.J. North was in that. Yes. So I all of a sudden uh, began working with him on, on DVD art and set still photography and things like that. And so from that point on, this is going up now till 1995 to the present, I've been a glamour photographer, uh, focusing exclusively on that. So fitness models also, glamour models, centerfold models. And I also for myself, I do four by five black and white photography. I'll go out west or I'll go to the mountains and just do some shots for myself too. That's more of a fun thing. How about you, John? I feel like um, Tales from the Crypt. When, like, the How about you, John? <laughs> 
Well, comparatively, I don't have nearly as much experience as the two of you guys do, but I have a real interest in photography. <clears throat> Spiked up again recently by Mike's interest in photography. Um, I started out shooting primarily on 16 millimeter for Mike's studio back in the, what, 90s, 80s, 90s? Um, turn of the 80s? century. Yeah, turn of the century. I mean, starting back that. in the late 80s. Right. So the name, of a, the name of a film, Turn of the Century? No. No. We, t- we called it Turn of the Screw. What was it? Well, starting back with oh, the ghoul school. No, I, well, school school, yeah. Started with ghoul school and Psycho Sisters and all that stuff. That was the late 80s, wasn't it? Psycho Sisters was 96. Was it really that but far ago? But then you, you started actually shooting, getting behind the camera and actually yeah. shooting. Right. Like, Around uh, 98, I guess, yeah. 99. Um, but oddly enough, I met Mike at college in a dark room. Oh. He was developing this image of this woman who I guess was handing out flyers and she was thrusting a flyer at him, and it was a very striking image, and you were making a huge print of it. And I'm like, what the heck is this? I'm like, so we struck up a, a, a friendship, Mike and I. We started shooting 16-millimeter Bolex films Yes. for a uh, TV show that we had in cable. And uh, <clears throat> the only still camera I ever owned was a uh, Minolta, a 35-millimeter camera, which I still have to this day. What model? SRT-101. <laughs> uh, I, what is it? You know what it is. I don't know. No, I don't know the model of your camera. Oh, it's the most famous one, Minolta. Probably the SRT-101 or 102. No. Something 1000? Yeah, XL-1000. Oh, oh, that was like the 70s, the SRTs. Um, Consumer yeah. brand. But, you know, it... it uh, Minolta Maxim? And uh, No. That dark room, this is William Patterson University in Wayne, New Jersey. That dark room was huge. Yeah, it was amazing. It was, it was awesome. Huge, huge, I guess it was, it was a fact. for classes. It was a factory. Yeah. Was it multiple enlargers and stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my God. Yeah. And so, I was developing... Atomic <laughs> X. I was developing Panatomic X film. Black and white and film. I think you were amazed by the fine grain of it. Yes, because you were blowing it up so big and it was such a uh, you know a nice image. I was like, what, what are you doing? What is that? What developer were you using back then? I, you know, I've lost touch with all my developers. Wasn't it Ilf, Ilf, Ilford stuff? Ilford Microfin? I don't know. The college provided all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we developed our negatives at home, and then we would go into the dark room just to develop prints. They would have the baths already set up. Right. Everything would be set up. You just walk in and do what you needed to do uh, wish for I had prints. That now. Yeah. And and they also supplied the tongs to get the prints out of the. You wish you had the special. baths already set up. Yes, I do. <laughs> and then I. Other Greek columns and stuff. Still photography classes. This mm-hmm. is this is. Yeah, that was a lot still, of fun. This is early '80s. Oh my gosh! I mean, you can learn so much in college out of one film photography class if you have a decent enough professor. To uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I learned there, I still retain and use when I take photographs. No kidding. Absolutely. Yeah, I had a great professor, and I got an A in the class. What was his name? I don't know. <laughs> they installed a color processor, and yeah, there was only one. Yeah, yeah. I it took was that all class. primarily was awesome. black and white. Yeah, I never made it to the color photography class. Because I enjoyed working in black and white so much. Well, I, you know, I hate to call my current enthusiasm for photography an obsession. It is. It, no, I, I really th- do think it is. It's sort it of is. like when I buy an album by an artist. you got to buy it all. I, I become obsessed. Like even obscure. I don't want to say obscure like Don McLean who did American Pie. Mm-hmm. Certainly everyone knows American Pie. Long, sure. long time ago. Vincent, Starry Starry Night. Yeah, but most people don't know much else. Right. You know but it all. I know it all. Did yeah. Starry Starry Night? He did. Yes. I didn't know. That was his second hit. Starry Starry Night. And it was probably an odd Great quirk time. because I remember, and this is also in the 80s, there was no online back then, so I had to scour through phone books mm-hmm. to find up record stores 
to find all of his out-of-print albums. Right. And I bought one. I remember I bought a out-of-print album. Don McLean. It was just called Don McLean's black and white cover. Yeah. I bought it for $25, which oh. is a lot. And then a few years later, I saw it in a secondhand store, brand new for a quarter. Oh, wow. that hurts. So, so yeah, I you know from digging out my Canon FD equipment, I'm now like. <laughs> oh, I don't mean to interrupt, but it's an XL1. Oh, is there such a thing? Minolta XL1. Really? You sure? Pretty sure. It's the only camera I have. You should know, right? He should know. So, anyways, you've been digging. Well, I brought some samples. We'll we'll touch them later. But you, have been you know, scouring I'm now the earth in, for, yeah. for cameras and film. Yes, not what you're doing. not just 35 millimeter. Uh, I've regressed into back to 126 cartridge film, 110 cartridge film, and something that the the all elusive, never before touched in my life. Because I have to tell you, Dwayne, I was always a little scared. 120 film. Scared. What about it scared you? I mean, all the film sets that I have been on where you were shooting stills, you know, you, you usually were shooting the 120 roll film. Yes, I was using either a Pentax 6x7 or a Mamiya RZ67. They're bigger cameras. They're, it's roll film. I couldn't grasp the com- concept of what it was. And it always a little was intimidating. Sort of, yes, a little intimidating. Where do you get it developed? What is it, you know? And, of course, 120, you're saying there are multiple formats of 120, like size, so to speak. 120 is basically just a roll of film, and it's also called two and a quarter because it's approximately two and a quarter inches wide by how long the manufacturer chooses to make it. Now, generally, it's called 120 or 220, 220, of course, being twice as long as 120. And depending upon the type of camera that you use, the format of camera that you put it in will give you a certain negative dimension. In other words, it can be six by six centimeters. Mm-hmm. It can be six by seven centimeters, called six by seven. It can be six by four and a half centimeters, mm-hmm. called six by four point five. It can be six by nine. Fuji made a six by nine camera. Mm-hmm. There are even cameras that were made that were six by nineteen. I believe uh, it isn't Noblex, but it's panoramic. Yeah, it's panoramic. And it I uses mean, it, 120 film. 120 just, film, same thing. It's just the image is wider. The image is, is, is very elongated. It's six uh, centimeters high by, I, I believe, 17 long. And the thing of it is, there's so many different esoteric camera makers out there that you've probably never even heard of. A lot of them are from Europe. A lot of them are from the Soviet Union. You know, God knows what dimensions that they actually create on that piece of film but suffice to say it isn't just a six by six centimeter square it can be mm. pretty much anything the camera wants to make it so it's not segmented like a 35 millimeter camera it's just one long roll of exactly is it perforated there's no segments to it is it perforated oh god uh no it's not perforated because it's paper-backed, uh, it's paper-backed and you put the end of it in the take-up spool and you create some tension you close the back and then you slowly wind it into place. Usually there's a counter or there's some sort of mm-hmm. indicator window showing you when that film is exa- uh, advanced to the first p- frame properly. But there isn't a sprocket in it. Well, there might be on some cameras. I don't know. Sprocket. Again, you know, Ilford makes 120. Kodak does. Fuji does. Right. There are different manufacturers in the uh, in Europe that may very well make sprockets for them as well. Sprockets. Sprockets. <laughs> and no, it's sprockets we dance. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't know what we're talking about, don't like relax. Join the club because yeah, I mean, I am familiar with 35 millimeter photography and just getting into 120, and I can tell you that don't get upset. 
There's nothing to be afraid of. No, and Don't I will scared. tell you the godsend of film photography uh, in the last few years is the internet. Mm. Uh, you need Google, you need YouTube, and you need uh, no, you need Google and YouTube because when I would see, like for example, for example, six months ago, you told me that I was going to be taking my parents' old camera. And a 126 cartridge and reloading that with 35 millimeter, I would have told you there's no way I'm going to touch it because it's just too scary and too strange. It's like opening up a computer. Yes, yes. But then on Flickr, uh, one of the Flickr members that I am uh, a contact of, he posted an image, and the underneath the image it mentioned that shot in a 126 camera and that he reloaded the uh, cartridge with 35 millimeter film. So I Google that. Google. 125mm uh, slash 126 film, and there was a video, an online video in Google. Google. I'm sorry, on YouTube, of how to, step by step, a guy taking the cartridge apart and, you know, loading 35mm film into the 126 cartridge. Wow. And even a workaround, because 126 film, the sprocket, it's only one sprocket per frame. Mm-hmm. Where 35 millimeter has right. lots Lot. of sprockets. Sprockets. Even, there was even a workaround of how to advance the film so you could properly shoot in that camera. Hmm. And that's the beauty of the internet because if the internet did not exist, this guy would be dwelling in obscurity wondering if he was the only person on the planet Earth that actually enjoyed doing that. Google. It and now, is, now that we know there are two. Yes. <laughs> At least. At least two. It is, uh, you know, I would say that the internet is, and in many ways, certainly not just film photography, has become life changing for people and i am most excited because it gives me a place to show my work and it also allows me to to um sort of communicate with photographers from all over the world which is awesome so it's a a, a continuing learning experience yes i believe that the 126 some of the tutorials on youtube i mean they're from all over the globe hmm. and i just find that completely fascinating that's that, great you know, some guy sitting in his little house or big house in, you know, Germany or Australia could be, you know, sort of touching someone across the globe. Hmm. And then all of a sudden that person is sitting in the dark. Doing take, the same thing. Taking apart a cartridge and reloading <clears throat> it. And, and I find it, uh, I find it mind-blowing. Hmm. One of the cool things is the fact that Eastman Kodak just dominated the world camera market for so long. I mean, going back to even the 1800s and they produced so much equipment. Just so um, a mind-boggling boggling amount of equipment, a mind-boggling amount of lenses, more than anybody else. And there's a, there's a real hot market for that stuff in Europe. I mean, you think, oh, you know, the Germans make camera lenses and the Japanese make camera lenses. But, you know, there are just some people in Europe that got to have a Kodak Ektar lens. Really? You know, oh, yeah, especially with large format cameras. <laughs> there's this there's this cachet associated with it. Oh, you have Americans. You're so lucky. You can you can find Kodak Ektar lenses. And I'm like, yeah. you know, you can too. You can go on eBay and find them. But, yeah. uh, you know, there's a certain quality that a lot of those optics have uh, because, you know, Kodak had state-of-the-art manufacturing, you know, until they – you know, like things changed really over the past 20 years or so. They they gradually declined in what they made. But uh, that's it. I mean, you know, there are, there are people probably in Australia. Oh, man, I've, I finally have one of these lenses, you know, yes. this this American lens. And, you know, I take it for granted, you mm-hmm. know, but but there, there are people out there that love it. I never and knew they were that uh, revered. They're not. Oh, yeah. Some, like Kodak, Leicas and yeah, know, Canon I mean, lenses a, were the a, thing. A Kodak commercial Ektar lens from, say, the 1940s to maybe the 1960s. Is it has the same cachet level as say like a Leica does hmm. to someone, or the way a Hasselblad does to somebody else? Hmm. 
You know, they were just um when you say that eBay is the online community for finding just about anything photograph that's not anything, 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 anything. Yeah. I mean, I think there have been people that that wanted to, to to steal that photographic market, and they started their own websites to uh, to be exclusively photographic. But the, the mm-hmm. problem with that is, you know, there are other people out there who are looking for something else who may stumble upon right. a photographic item, and if you're an exclusively photographic website, you're denying yourself access to the other group of potential buyers. So in the long run, like John said, it's everything, everything. I mean, why not put it on a website where you're going to – some guy's looking for a car. Oh, you know, there's photography stuff too. So yeah, to answer your question, See, eBay's it. If I was looking for photography stuff, I would go to eBay exclusively. I wouldn't think, oh, there are other, you know, sell selling places like eBay that are exclusive to photography. Right. Some I'd people, be like, oh, if you can't get it on eBay, you can't get it. Some people don't like that the bidding experience though and probably K, annoying. K camera brokers is the, is the biggest used uh, – have you ever heard of K? No. It's K – a K E H K E H. I believe they're in Atlanta, and it's just it's just mind-boggling the, the amount of gear that they have. They don't sell by auction. It's just a used hmm. a used photography clearinghouse. They just clear. They set a price and you just buy it. You send them your gear. They give you a quote. You want to do business, you sell it, and then they resell it on their website. Hmm. And I don't you know I don't work for them. I'm giving them a plug because they're they're pretty awesome. It's K E H dot com, and you know it's just. You want to find like a, a I want a 360 millimeter f/5 telezenar lens from the 1950s and a copal shutter. You know, oh my God, there it is. It's like it's like that. <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. I tend to look for a camera that was sort of with one user mm-hmm. like, or in the family. Like for example, the Adox 120 camera, which is sitting in front of us. I purchased it on eBay, <sighs> and it was you know my grandfather's camera. It's been in our family forever, and yada yada and. I find some comfort in that. That it had only one owner. Well, that that, that a story is told about the camera, and uh, I don't know if some of the professional sites go into that much detail about the history of. It's not as it's not as much of a personal experience. Oh no, not at all. It's just it's just merchandise, yeah. Right. <clears throat> but they're descriptive about the condition, I would imagine. They have really nice pictures, and uh, they're descriptive descriptive about the description based on a numerical scale. Right. You know. As like Shutterbug used to do and stuff like that. But I understand what you're saying because photographers are – and I, probably musicians as well. They're very uh, attached to a piece of equipment mm-hmm. because there's a certain story that maybe went along with the ownership of that. Right. And I mean this – I'm showing my geek colors here. But I've sold camera equipment and I said I'm only going to sell it to someone who's going to give it a good home. Right. You know, because no, it I makes mean, perfect sense yeah, because you have a relationship with this equipment. It's I mean, not like yeah. it's – I babied this stuff for yeah. 10 years. I don't want you to take it and throw it and use it as a paperweight. I mean, you know. Or it, lock it away as a part of a collection. Yeah, definitely. So I understand that the, you know, your, your attachment to something and wondering you know, where it came from and how they used it. The best eBay auctions, in my opinion, are where sellers give a personal description about the camera, what it is, how it was used, and have some knowledge of what it is as opposed to uh, a lot of uh, secondhand stores. You know, hey, this is from an estate sale. I know nothing about this camera. Mm. Here it is. Even though, relatively speaking, I guess, items are inexpensive. I mean, it could be a few hundred dollars, but I I usually skip that auction because if I'm going to spend a few hundred dollars, I at least want to be talking to someone, so to speak, that has some knowledge of what it is, how it was used, and what condition it's in. And by the way, your ADOX camera, this company's still in business. Oh, get out. If you go to uh, Freestyle yeah. Sales, the uh, it's sort of the, the mecca for fine art photographers in black and white out of California. They still ADOX film. 
No kidding. Adox paper, Adox film. I don't know if it's Czech Republic or Germany. Maybe somebody out there knows, but it's still a it's still a viable brand name in the photographic world. I I wanted to take the plunge into 120 photography, and I just went to eBay and I typed in 120 film, and I looked through all the cameras, and I've bought this for about 20 bucks. Oh my god! And I just wanted to experiment and not feel like I have to spend a thousand dollars. Right. What did you type in to um, to eBay to find this? The 120 film? Or? 120 film, and then categories show up on the left. It'll right. say film, cameras, lenses. Then I went – I was still on eBay. I bought uh, four rolls of – four or five rolls of expired 120 film. And the, then B&H, I bought – B&H photo, I bought a new roll mm-hmm. of uh, – Kodak? Kodak. <laughs> Kodak Portra. <laughs> 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 I was correct. One, uh, it's a 160 NC natural color. This is an amazing camera because uh, it's so robustly built. And I know you can't look at it if you're listening to this, but it's it's a sort of a thing where you, you press a button and uh, a little panel drops down and then and a little accordion-type bellows extends and there's the lens. And it's just a beautiful thing to look at. Mm. And it's it's you know it's made in Germany. And it has f-stops on it, and it has shutter speeds on it, and you cock the shutter, and you can uh, fire the shutter with either a button or use a cable release. And it has a preset distance scale so that you don't have to manually focus, but you can if you want to. And it has a little range finder in it, and it has a hot shoe in it. You know, and you're looking at this thing, and it's just an amazing piece of craftsmanship, and it's so light. And I yes. bet it's tack sharp, too. That lens is super clear on it. I haven't shot with it yet. I think you should put this on a tripod and, and just uh, give it a go. And cool. like, did cable release to really get to test, test the full quality of the lens because you can't hand holding it, you probably won't be able to. But right, you know. Yeah, I mean, do you know when that was manufactured? That camera, fifties, I believe. Really? Yeah. And look at it; it's still going strong. Well, someone took care of it. My yes. cyber shot looks like junk already, and I've only had it for five years. Well, cameras today, especially the photography, the uh, resurgence of film photography is um, sort of like. Toy camera based, the Holga, yeah. the, the Diana. I mean, look, I'm not putting them down. I, I think they're great. The I own a Vivitar, uh, slim and wide. It's a little. Pla- <laughs> well, they, what are they trying to like get people that like small compact cameras like the digital cameras no, are to get into 30? No, it's a it's a movement. It's a hipster movement. I see. You can go to Urban Outfitters. And purchase plastic 110, 120, 35 millimeter film cameras. Yeah, because if you're going out into the great outdoors, take some film. I shots. don't get. I guess what I don't get is maybe I'm too sensible. <laughs> like the plastic Holga that takes 120 film. It seems like it seems I have no problem with it. But do you really need that big piece of film to be shooting through the plastic lens? Well, I think it's because that was a design of cameras that went back to the 1960s. They were made that big, you know. And I just think uh, it's sort of it's sort of odd because. Hits a plastic camera. It, its build quality is really, right. really not that good. It's got a plastic lens, and you're shooting on a big piece of film. It's like this, this, you know, why? I, I saw that camera on eBay, and I avoided it because, first of all, the bids go up to fifty bucks. I kid you not. The toy plastic cameras, like the Vivitar uh, Ultra Wide and Slim, is also something called a Black Devil, made by a different company, because mm-hmm. Vivitar discontinued that camera. Fifty bucks. And for this one, this Adox was twenty-five, right? Yes. Yeah. All metal camera body, you know, full professional level shutter, super clear glass, super sharp. Right. So why would you spend fifty bucks for the Holga? Because you don't know. This because, is scarier looking. Because it's a fashion item. That's why. This exactly. Is, does it have to do with? the uh how much film experience you have because most of the plastic cameras are point and shoot right this when i say this is scary i mean it's not because i 
I could figure this out in a few minutes, but when you popped open the lens and the lens popped out, I mean, there's a lot of metal. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of metal. There's a lot of rings on it with, with engravings. and uh, It looks complicated. It looks complicated. You, you, need have to, a, you, you need a meter. A light meter. You have to understand the concept of focus distance, mm-hmm. f-stop shutter speed, things like that. You have to have a love for photography to use that camera. Although, you know, as long as I've been shooting uh, film photography, I only learned about, and I don't know how this can be, it's sort of like how could I love music, rock and roll music so long and not know who Scott Walker is. Yeah. It's the same thing. How could I not know, Dwayne, what Sunny 16 was? A lot of people don't because if you grew up in an automated world, why would you know what that was? For those of you who don't know, the Sunny 16 rule means the correct exposure right. on a sunny day is f16 and the shutter speed is the reciprocal of the film speed so if it's asa 400 right. it's 1 400th at f16 on a sunny day high noon you're going to be have a correctly right. exposed picture but again that's going back to like the days when people shot with press cameras and mm. stuff like right. that and then they, they had to get a shot real quick they didn't have a light meter with them or right. maybe light readers weren't as commonplace as they were say 20 years later so hey you know I'm going to uh, calculate that. Oh, it's in the shade. I'll open up another stop. That's what I'm going to shoot. So if it was a speed thing too. It was a, it was a convenience issue, yeah. and it, people don't need that now, you know. No. So if true. you're a film photographer, or if you want to get into film photography, but just really just don't know how, it's it's less scary to think that you can go to eBay buy, let's say, a Canon FT, which is a completely manual, beautiful camera. Get it for like 25 bucks. With a lens, 50 millimeter lens, and you could just type "Sunny 16" into Google, and then you get the Wikipedia, right? Which I did, and I because I just never mm. knew that. Okay, you know, let's say I have a 100 ASA film. The closest to it would be 125th of a second shutter speed. Mm-hmm. Set your lens to f16, and then do a little bracketing. Sure. Shoot something at f11, or you know, if you're going to be off a little bit, and that's it. You're ready to go without a meter. Without a meter, and the amazing thing is. It truly amazes me is that when you look at a manual camera such as the one you just purchased, really the only three variables are there's the f-stop, there's the shutter speed, and there's the focusing distance. And they're, they're three pretty, pretty, you know, readily learnable concepts. I mean, you don't need – it isn't rocket science. Mm-hmm. Yet people shy away from that thinking that it's, oh, it's, it's so technical and it's so scary. But people, they'll, they'll read textbooks on processing raw files – you know, and they'll they'll spend days looking at all the the thirty or forty different menus in the back of a digital camera, and that's that's something that is considered you know not that difficult to, to comprehend. But you know, you, you can't learn three issues on a manual camera. Or they'll spend weeks uh, playing a video program. Yeah, right. <laughs> to learn well, all the intricacies of that. I will say that the Flickr community has been very generous. Uh, I am a huge fan of the groups, and I'm I'm in all the film groups. Like I shoot film, I shoot Kodak film. I mean, there's a, a large number of groups. I tend to lean towards the ones that have the most members. Mm-hmm. And every few months or every few weeks, someone will post, you know, I'm new to film. You know, my grandfather just gave me a Canon A A E one, or they gave me a Canon A one, and I don't understand this. The the grasp, the concept of the shutter speed versus what the f stop is, and the Film ASA can be mind blowing, but I think that the, the the members of Flickr have been very generous and very you know very good about you know posting links. Hey, you may may want to check out this link as opposed to some online communities which you had mentioned. I don't know which ones. Sometimes people can be mean. They berate. Yes, they can be very. Well, I was referring to specifically uh, 
largeformatphotography.com or .info. Oh. And if just to talk about this for a moment, large format photography is uh, is sheet film that begins really with four by five and it goes to five by seven, eight by ten, and eleven by fourteen sheets of film. These are professionals, so maybe well, that type of question doesn't belong in there. I don't know if they're professionals, but they're people that. They're so into photography that they, they have these massively – I'm one of these people myself, but they have one of these massively big cameras. They tend to be, I think, demographically older you know, and curmudgeonish. <laughs> and you know, anybody who has a digital camera is just a young whippersnapper mm-hmm. that just needs to be whipped into shape. You know, and mm-hmm. I'm not one of those. I don't think that way at all. They, I use digital cameras too. But you know, so they, there tends to be an, oh, you, you, you're using that. You don't, you don't know that. There's that kind of a vibe to it, which I just find to be counterproductive. And I, it, there's no – it's stupid. Yeah. I mean, it's like people join these things because they want to learn. Yeah, exactly. You should mm-hmm. share your knowledge instead of hoarding it. And Rarely experience that on Flickr. Everyone is super cool, and that's what I love about it. Amazes me because I was so used to people being, uh, you know, rude and and hoarding knowledge and being defensive. And you know, someone would post a picture, then someone would rip it apart. No. Who taught you composition? Oh. Don't you own an Ansel Adams book? Don't you know the rule of thirds? You really don't you, don't you own a neutral density filter? You got to be kidding me! You're this kidding. gallery represents me. You're never gonna say, "Oh yeah, I mean, brutal, brutal, That's horrible." Maybe the sensibilities have changed over the last few years. I don't think. I just think it's the fact that large format photographers mm. are people that consider themselves to be artists, yeah. and they consider themselves people who are intent on marketing their work, and it's a brutal way to make money, and it's also, you know, people that that you know, our artists, they're, they're, what's the word I'm looking for? They're just, uh, maybe they don't feel like teaching anyone anything. Well, then they shouldn't, they shouldn't belong to a forum, which in part Mm. is dedicated towards learning. Right. You know, I mean, there there are, I mean, you go on some of these forums and there are people that have 4,000 posts and for, I mean, I look at that like, so you, you post four or five times a day, every day of your life and you're not answering somebody's question. You're, you're basically posting because you want to tear somebody a new one, and I don't understand that. You know, it's very selfish. It is. Well, I, I guess think that people have a low self-image of what they do, and they want to consider them to be really important, and they're not. They're not publishing books. Mm. They're not. You know, they're not Ansel Adams, or they're not. You know, some they, of the famous they, photographers. They, so they they got, they got to make themselves feel better by ripping somebody else well, apart. Well, they need help. That's unfortunate. I advise if you are new to film photography and know nothing to use the Google, as I call it. The Google. The Google. Google. Because the Google is uh, not only because a lot of these cameras you buy online come with no instruction. Well, they're old. They're just you know. But if you Google the model, there is a uh, 50% chance you'll find a someone who's kind enough to put a PDF of that camera manual so i would say although i've never seen someone uh you know torn up on Flickr asking a question if you do a little research first mm. find the manual try to find what you can on the model and then ask a question once you kind of exhausted you know all of your research do a little bit of legwork first i'm exhausted do yeah I, I always say you know do your research first and it's it's not that difficult well, not like you have to go to the library anymore. It's there. It's there. But don't you think there are people who are who would abuse it and just go there with their hand? Uh, 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 no. What's an f stop? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, that want to just get you know all the information in one place, one stop shopping. Well, from no, one I guy. think that sometimes that people who are finding you know just learning about film photography, maybe a little overexcited about it, you know, and um, 
I think sometimes people tend to post very anxiously, mm. you know, click, and not think about what they're right. writing. But I still, I don't see a lot of that on Flickr. I'm also a member of Photo.net. And As am I. There, I, I find that to be awesome. Uh, uh, the users of that group also are very giving. Uh, as a matter of fact, many times if I search something in Google, the Google, the topic will come up on Photo.net. For example, if I purchased an old camera that needed a battery, I'll type in the model number, uh, Canon FTB battery, Google. The Google. And then a Photo.net thread will come up. Hmm. And it'll tell you, you know, hey, this camera used to use this Mercury battery, probably manufactured in Jersey City. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, this camera uses this mercury battery, and the equivalent is this, and um, that's awesome. And you have your battery. Because the question asked, I guess the point is the question asked was already answered in a forum. Mm. So if you Google it before you just ask the question, the Google, you the may information's find, there you instead may find of trying to answer. Yeah. bug somebody about it. You can find it. Absolutely. It's been asked and answered before probably a hundred times. Right. Why shoot film, Mike? Well, that's a great question. Well, you know, I think I do see I do see photography as an art, and I see choosing your medium, digital. I'm not against digital photography. I mean, some people may choose to shoot digital, and some people may choose to shoot film. Don't you think it's like shooting oil or watercolor or acrylic? Shooting oil? <laughs> um, no, no, painting. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, equating it to art and and saying that you're choosing a meeting is probably uh, one of the best ways I've heard it described because people usually refer to it in regards to, you know, technology. Oh, you know, why wouldn't you want to use digital because everybody has a computer right? and that sort of a thing rather than equating it to something which has to more do with, you know, your artistic self or your, your emotional self, which is, you know, maybe you want to use film just because you want to. You know, I use film in 4x5 view cameras, but I also have to shoot digital because I do commercial photography of models. Right. And they want a disc at the end of the session. And a client wants me to, you know, photograph with my, my phone digital camera, an image on a screen, and then send it to them on the phone so they can say that it's okay. Absolutely. And you have to do that. If, if I were to get into this professionally, uh, I think, John, maybe you could relate to this. If I were hired by, let's say, a video production company mm-hmm. out on a corporate gig, let's say an event <clears> – <throat> Forget it. I could not be stubborn about it. I would have to go out and either rent or buy yep. a fine an SLR mm-hmm. digital camera because I couldn't bring my AE1 yeah. and run across the street to Target. You, you Art, can't you can't artistic, say to a client to no. shoot. Okay, get back to film. me. Get back to me on <laughs> yeah. Thursday and I'll have the I'll have the no. pictures. No, that, it's it's they want a disc. Artistic disc. intentions have no place in corporate world. No, you gotta you know, and and they probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference between film and digital. No, anyways. but it's like uh, you're, you're saying delivery. They, people want their product on demand right now. Right. And it's a godsend if you shoot models because, you know, they want to sit down next to you at the end of the shoot and they want to scroll through the images and they want to see if they look good or not. And, uh, you know, it's sort of a, a reinforcement that the shoot went well if they are, in fact, looking at a picture. that And you could do that with Polaroids, too. Mm. That was the purpose of having a Polaroid right. back on a camera. Right. I guess yeah, it's, I mean, it's aesthetic of yeah. choice. I mean, from, from a personal hobby or an artistic perspective – I own a Canon T90. It's a it was made in 1986. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first uh, cameras that it, it looks like a digital camera because Canon sort of invented that form, that form-fitting molded plastic look, which still is carried through today on digital SLRs. And I don't love it. I like it because all of the functions are electronic. Mm-hmm. So unless I'm in full auto mode, 
I have to go in electronically to fix everything. So my personal preference is to have my Canon FT all manual, just like the ADOX, mm -hmm. and 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 photograph that way. It's more satisfying to me. I guess you would say, why would a young person want to shoot film photography? By the way, you can write to us. And John, we actually have an email address for this oh, podcast. Not, but not for alternative. Not cinema. for alternative cinema. John and I host a podcast called Alternative Cinema Podcast, which you can look up on the Google. 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 It's uh, a lot different than this. It's about uh, low-budget B movies. It's filled with lots of filthy language. Hmm. <laughs> very blue. Very off color. That's it. It's very blue. Uh, and um, very frank. It's very frank. What was I saying? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're talking about... Um, why would uh, what a young person shoot film photography? Why? why am I shooting 126 cartridge film in the camera my parents owned? I think it's... I don't know why. The image is not great from my 126 mm -hmm. Instamatic. Um, I think it has. I think there's a lot of emotions involved. But is there a quality of the image that... I oh, mean, it's a very unique-looking image. I mean, it's very distant, very... It makes even a new image look old. Polaroid SX-70, mm -hmm. instant film, the 126 film, gives a unique It's very nostalgic. ...an image. Yeah, the shot I, I... I shot an image of John with a Kodak Instamatic... No, I'm sorry, a Keystone Instamatic mm -hmm. camera, and it looked like it was shot in 1970. I know. Just the just the way the lens shoots the image. If you look at an SX70 Polaroid image, it almost looks as though it's detailed, but it's not really sharp. Correct. Right. And the colors, or there's a color palette that's muted, but it's saturated Ooh. at the same time. You yeah. know, it's very odd looking, and right. people have been trying to mimic that in Photoshop, and I've never seen anybody no, do it. You can't. You know, and it's sort of like the argument: oh, you know what? Vacuum tubes are better mm -hmm. than you know, solid state because right. there's a difference in sound and people will say, no, 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 I can duplicate, I can duplicate uh, a vacuum tube sound with solid state electronics and those that say, no, you can't. Well, it, duplicates it, it duplicates yeah. it, but it doesn't recreate it. Hey. And it's the same thing with, that was a, we just took a picture. I mean, it's the same thing with, with film. The, the funny thing is now, there are, digital came out and, and the manufacturers of digital cameras really wanted people mm. to switch from film to digital. One of the things that they said was the big selling point was that there's no grain in it. Right. You know, you don't have to worry about grain. Oh, the horrible, horrible grain of huh. film. It's no longer there. Now, they sell software right. to mimic film grain. Right, to put grain in. Isn't that amazing? To put yeah. grain in. Isn't that amazing? There's, there's a website you can go to. And I don't know the name of it. But if you type in Polaroid look, you might get – it's online. You just do it online. You hit a button and it, you upload your photo. Mm -hmm. And then – it makes it look like a Polaroid SX70. Did you, did you ever try it? Yes. Seriously. Does it look like it? Yes. And really? It does. Yes. So I stand corrected. Maybe someone has figured out a way to really... It, it's not exact, but it's right. certainly close enough. It even puts... It even... You know, I'm holding a Polaroid 600 film, which is, you know, the instant film, SX70. That I just shot of Dwayne with a Polaroid one-step. If you look at the actual... You know how a Polaroid has the bottom white mm -hmm. where you could write mm -hmm. on? The online even had the texture... Really? ...of the white part. Wow. So the, I, I think there's a huge following to, quote-unquote, throwback photography. Absolutely. That people want to, their image to look... Like it is a Polaroid image. Hugely popular product with porn stars and strippers, by the way. Polaroid. Yes, because uh, seriously, they would 
girls that are in that business would go to, to clubs and they would do what's called feature dancing mm. and they would dance in a club and then you would go get your Polaroid taken right. with them and there was that little space in the bottom and they would, <laughs> and they would sign it and that was – they would sell those things for you know, 25, 30 bucks a clip. Yikes. And working in that business, I know so many of those girls that just freak out that Polaroid is no longer right. made. They said, you, you don't know how much money I make selling Polaroids. Right. I make my money – Selling Polaroids. That's how I make my living selling Polaroids. And now they ought to all get together. Well, actually, all, all the strippers get together and <laughs> protest. This is a very nice segue. Very nice segue, Dwayne. Oh, really? into Polaroid. Oh. oh. Hey, will you play the James Garner spot? I, I found a spot on YouTube. Remember Maddox. The, remember the? No, he was uh, Rockford. Rockford. Hold on a second. Maddox. Dun, 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 Are you ready? Dun, dun, yeah, we're ready. Go ahead. Okay, hold on. With Polaroid's one step, you just press one button, a motor hands you the picture, and the sharp, brilliant color develops in minutes. Oh, very pretty. It's the world's simplest camera because of what you don't do. What don't you do? Well, you don't focus, you don't set exposures, you don't measure the distance. Sorry I asked. Or whine, prank, or peel anything, or worry about batteries, or getting your pictures developed. Does anybody remember all that? Nope. I get the one step and forget it. That was uh, James Garner and Marriott Hartley. Marriott Hartley, yep. I'm Jim Rockford, and I live in a trailer. <laughs> Coolest guy that lived in a trailer <laughs> ever. With his dad. Yep. Except my Uncle Mo. He was a pretty cool guy. You ever watch those things? They have an answering machine, and it's about as big as a refrigerator. Yeah. Oh, this is Jim Rockford. This is yeah. Jim Rockford. Leave a message. I'll get back to you. 200 bucks an hour plus expenses. Wow. You could hire Jim Rockford to uh, be your private dick. Yeah, but you get his father. You get everybody. Get Rocky polar. comes along. Who's the other guy? Angel. Angel? <laughs> Are you sure that wasn't Magnum? No, it wasn't no. Magnum. But oh, that, oh, oh, Angel, right. He was the Huggy Bear, quote yeah. unquote, of that show. That commercial was... He was kind of talked like crazy, like, yeah. old Jim. He had the curly hair. Yeah, he was right. nuts. Like he's on meth or something. Yeah. I think he died. I don't know. Is Jim Rockford still alive? Oh, he's still alive. He's yeah, cranky. Very cranky. Well, his he doesn't knee, like the young His kids. knees got blown out. <laughs> he doesn't like the young He doesn't. Kids. He hates, like, youth. Like, he doesn't understand the youth of today. So I went to the New York... T- I, I typed in Polaroid, and I got a New York Times article written by Patrick J. Lyons. And, that guy uh, owes me five bucks. He says, and I'm, I'm just like looking at a little piece of it, that Polaroid is getting out of the Polaroid business. And this article is from February 2008. And it says, the company which stopped making instant cameras for consumers a year ago and for commercial use a year before that said today that it has enough instant film manufactured to last through 2009, and then it will stop that as well. The company will concentrate on digital cameras and printers. They file for... Uh, chapter 11 bankruptcy in 2001. Oof. And then a private investment company came in in 05 and purchased them. Polaroid film for your one step and your people that are, you know, erotic dancers or strippers who want to sell Polaroids should know that they can still buy the film. The last batch is in stores now. Oh, oh really? Really? Yes. That's it. That's, That's it. it. Then it's done. Then it's done. So you should stock up if you need it. Well, but, you know what? They said that reel to reel 24 track uh, tape. They stopped manufacturing that as well. But they manufacture it again because it was such a public outcry. You, did you know that NASA still records every space mission on reel-to-reel analog tape? I did not know that. Yep. Still do that. Did you know that a group – I don't know too much about this, so if anyone has any info, please do email us at uh, – think for a second. Film, film photography podcast at gmail.com. There are always rumors on the internet that someone else will manufacture yes, Polaroid. Yes, they're going to get the license from Polaroid so, so it, and start a plant and actually 
manufacture SX70 600 film. I think it's a complicated process to. Uh, from I've read a couple of articles about it. It's a pretty complicated process to uh, to make. Yeah. But how many babies have to die to make a batch of Polaroid film? Like twenty. <laughs> See, that's tough. But did you know that? Uh, well, that was that article. <laughs> <laughs> mentioned that they stopped in puppies 08. Too. No. Fuzzy puppies. Ooh. But this article from, this article from uh, January 09 says that po- uh, Polaroid Pogo instant digital camera. What is that? It's called a Polaroid Pogo. It's a digital camera yeah. that when you take the picture, it stores your picture digitally, but also spits out a print out of the bottom of the camera. Really? They're, well, they're starting to be heavily advertised. And I bet how you. How big is the image? Uh, hold on. Two not by the, three feet. Not <laughs> it's, it's a mother. Uh, but it, not the size of an old Polaroid. It huh? uses zinc paper and zinc zero-ink printing technology. Zinc is an ink-free printing technology that replaces ink cartridges or ribbons with zinc paper, which is wow. a composite material that has embedded heat-activated dye crystals. Before printing, zinc paper appears white like a regular photo paper. Mm-hmm. Once the pictures are printed... They immediately dry to the touch, durable, and smudge and water resistant. Yeah, I wonder what the shelf life on one of those uh, is. The instant digital camera measures 4.7 inches by 3 inches and weighs 10 ounces. Really? Yeah. Is that acceptable? Well, it's a replacement. I mean, it, it, it is. I mean, it's a new Polaroid. I mean, it's giving you an instant print. Yeah. So all they have to do is the next, maybe the next generation of cameras will be a little bit larger print. So that if you're, uh, I mean, that's not really just limited to strippers. If you're like at a fan convention, right. let's say you go there, and let's say uh, Lou Ferrigno's there, who was the Hulk, oh, awesome. right? Or uh, let's see, um, I don't, I'm not going to mention Mickey Rooney. You better not, uh, bastard. If any any star is there, uh, many of them had Polaroid cameras. Yeah. All of them did. And you, for twenty five bucks, you get a picture taken with your favorite star and but, Margaret. And Margaret, Chiller Theater Horror Expo. Linda Blair. Linda Blair, Chiller Theater John Horror Saxon. Expo. John Saxon. If you you know what, if you're listening to this and you don't know what the Chiller Theater Horror Expo is, blow your mind by going to Chiller Theater. That's T H E A T R E dot com, and welcome to the world of like you know celebrity fandom where you right. can go to a show. Val Kilmer was there. Yeah, dude. Everybody Ernest Borgnine was there. It's crazy. Uh, Larry Storch from F Troop oh, was there. I, I saw Dr. Smith from Lost in Space there. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Barbara Eden from I Dream of Genie was there. Wow. Wow. When the Bradys Larry start Hagman. showing up. Was Larry Hagman there? Yeah, he was there. He was there a couple times. Lori Petty from uh, the movie with Keanu Tank Reeves. Tank Girl. Tank Girl, and she and was Point in Break. Uh, Point Break. Yeah, they get, it, it's a weird mix of people, but they all rely on Polaroids. I think that Polaroid is going to make a huge comeback with this new digital print camera because everybody wants it. I mean, it's just delivering something that everyone yeah. could relate to. That Polaroid name is is yeah. just embedded in everyone's mind. Even kids, I'm sure, know what a Polaroid is. Their, uh, their business didn't go up after that... Uh... That uh, song by, uh, what was that band? Shake it like a Polaroid picture. Come on, shake it. Dwayne, do you know if you shake it, a Polaroid doesn't not no, affect? No, it doesn't. That was a big news story because they say that in the song and then Polaroid put a press release that said that if you shake the picture, it won't develop any People used to blow on them too. Yeah. Back really? in the 70s when I was a kid, like, you know, always Polaroid cameras and... Like you take a picture so and all the on. kids would grab the picture and be shaking it and be blowing on it. Did you uh, ever hear – wasn't there a technique where people could actually like push with their finger or Polaroid something? Polaroid manipulation. Yeah. What, what's that all about? Because uh, there were the, some artists in the 90s that were doing that. Right. Too, the emulsion before it solidified 
was really, really soft. Yeah. And so the people used to actually buy dental instruments. That was the, the instrument of choice, hmm. was getting the kind of things they used to clean your teeth. Right. And for maybe two or three minutes, that was your window of opportunity. Before the emulsion hardened on that print, they would just take it and push it into into kind of, you know, uh, what would look? What's like the, the artist that did uh, not Picasso? Oh, Starry Pollock? Starry Nights. Oh, Vincent Van Gogh. Right. They did the Van Gogh look with it, and they make swirlies, and they'd make the clouds go swirly. It's because and, they're like layers of chemicals. Yeah. yeah, the emulsion, the actual layers of chemicals, they would take, I guess, take a few minutes to cure and harden. And during that time, you could actually push them, actually physically move it around with with a sharp instrument, mm. and then it would harden, and it would be. Uh... We should try that. Yeah, you got the Polaroid right here. Well, I'd have to reload the camera. And uh, you, need a, you need a dental cleaning instrument. Oh. Or you could use, you know, a nail file. I was gonna say like a pen or something. Well, why don't we ask our listeners? I always if say they, this if, they, if there are any. <laughs> if podcast. anybody has any any um, examples of this Please that go, are posted online or anywhere, or go, post them. Go to Flickr.com and in you type in film photography podcast, hit groups, and our group will come up, and you are invited to join the group and to please post your photography. I mean, if you want to post Polaroids that are manipulated, please, by all means, you know, please do. That would be awesome. Mm, absolutely. Or if you have any Polar- Or anything else experimental that for future podcasts. Absolutely. Uh, because up on, the, up on your group website, uh, is that what you call it? Website? Yeah. Group. Up on Flickr your group, group, somebody had posted something and he'd done something very interesting. With Can you bring that up so Dwayne could see it? Sure. And in fact, people used to take their Polaroid manipulations and they used to re-photograph them on a copy stand and then make lithographic prints from them. I mean, you used to see these. Really? Yeah. I mean, they used to sell them like artwork. It's yeah, because they look very, uh, you know, painterly, if yeah. you will. Well, here's the photo. Yeah. And um, what's the gentleman's name? John Milliker had posted some photos. And what he does is, I'm just going to read this verbatim. Uh, He says, red scale is achieved by spooling color negative film backwards on a film spool and shooting images through the usually red tinted base. Because this base acts as a filter, you must overexpose the film by two stops. But the images that he's posted are very striking. Well, back up. It's called red scale. Red scale. So this is someone who shot 35 millimeter film Mm. in their camera. Mm. And they shot it experimentally using something called red scale. Right. Have you heard of this? Never. And he's taking the film, I guess, in a dark room, in a black room, or in a, cha- a film changing bag, and taking the film out of his the little film canister. Right. And then respooling it back in. Unspooling it and putting it backward, in backwards. Backwards, meaning, because you usually shoot with the emulsion side, that's, that's the non shiny side, the emulsion side facing the camera. Right. So he's doing the opposite so that the camera is shooting through the shiny. Base, would you call that base, Dwayne? Yes. The shiny part. Yep. And he's saying that the base has some chemicals in it that are acting as a filter. Therefore, it's reducing the amount of light hitting your film, so you have to open up your lens a little bit, and that it creates this effect. That's probably an anti-halation layer. Really? Hmm. And what that means is that... Uh, so it doesn't fog? Doesn't, um, so pinpoints of light don't spread out and give halos to it. I mm. guess you could call it fogging too. Have, have you seen anything like that before, Dwayne, or heard I've anything? I've never heard of anybody shooting through the backing layer of film because my impression was that it was always so dense right. that you would uh, have to overcompensate or compensate for exposure like a <clears throat> whole lot. And also Two that... stops, he says. That's not that much. Yeah. And also, I would always think it wouldn't be sharp. Oh. It's like saying, here's the emulsion. That's what's creating the image. That's what's going to be sharp. 
and now you're shooting through something, right? Hmm. Uh, wouldn't that be degrading the focus of the image on it? But apparently right. not. You know, maybe, just, maybe it's so thin it doesn't matter. I just saw here on the second uh, shot that he posted, it says, uh, to explain a little bit further, it says, red scale is color film shot in reverse so that the image must travel through the acetate before hitting the emulsion, which results in the yellow reddish cast or filter-like appearance. Right. So it's a, it's a very interesting uh, look, very unique look. I mean, I guess you could get the same look with filters, but it wouldn't be as much fun and geeky. I, I am totally in awe of the fact that, you know, yesterday I knew nothing, would never even think of reversing film. I would never even think of doing that. Uh-huh. It's, it's really awesome. And uh, we're running out of time, but next time I'd like to talk, you know, a little bit more about exp- experimentation because it's cross-processing, I'm sure, Dwayne, you're familiar with. Yes. Taking your color print film, which is C41, and developing it in slide chemistry, which is called E6, or vice versa, mm-hmm. taking your slide film, which is process E6, and developing at, uh, you know, in C41, which is print chemistry. C41, E6. <laughs> so we're running out of time. I, I, I want to thank John and uh, Dwayne yep. for sure supporting me in my compulsion. This is sort of like, instead of therapy... It's an intervention is what it is. Yeah. You know, uh, you can write to us at filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Please visit our Flickr group, Flickr.com. What is it? Is there a, is there a web address? Is it Flickr.com forward slash? Uh, what is the on, URL? i go back a couple of things. Hold on. If you go to Flickr and just type in film photography podcast. It says uh, Flickr groups backslash groups. <laughs> uh, Flickr.com backslash groups backslash film photography podcast. Great. Please come down in a group, join. If you're excited about film photography, I hope, then you will uh, love the group. And I hope hopefully by next month we'll have a lot more participation. And if you'd like to see an example of my model photography, go to modelmayhem.com backslash curvy sexy hot. Is that right? That is right. And if you'd like to ask me any questions, my phone number is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be standing on the corner selling pencils out right. of a... Uh, right. Out of a can. It's not too far from the truth. No, I meant me. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. All right, thank you. Hey, thank you. New podcast every 15th of the month. This is the October 15th, 2009, and we'll see you next month. Special thanks to our webmaster, Greg Dumont, and his KillerReviews.com website. Check it out, KillerReviews.com. It's a movie lover's site, B-movie lover's site. If you are into B-movies and movies, check out KillerReviews.com and Greg's podcast. And special thanks also to Alternative Cinema, and that's at AlternativeCinema.com. Cinema.com.